This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Take the Hello, everyone, and welcome to another lowly anticipated edition of the Hardwood Knox podcast. We're going to start out with a housekeeping note. This is technically the start of a new era in Hardwood Knox. We've had a couple. First, uh, the two-bit trader, Adam Frommel, left to focus on his website called MBA Math for which I am a deputy editor and Andy is a contributor. And then, what would you say, two months later, Hardwood Knox is officially a member of said MBA math website. So I guess this is kind of a quasi-coming-home story for all of us. Yeah, I'm excited to, to be coming back together um, with Adam. I think the iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. The uh, partnership is going to force you to ditch the lowly anticipated um, nope. welcome because people are going to just start highly anticipating this each and every I week will, or I will drop lowly <laughs> anticipated when we stop shouting out Ben O'Rudry. 
Oh, well, then we are at an impasse. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Um, uh, go oh, ahead. No, no, you. I'm waiting on you. Keep going. No, all I was going to say is, uh, yeah, I'm excited uh, to to have our podcast hosted over there on NBA Math. Obviously, we'll still be um, new episodes will be uploaded to, to Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher. We're hoping to get Google Play up and running here pretty soon. So all those same areas where you get your podcasts now, we'll continue to have our episodes there. Uh, we'll just also have the posts embedded on NBA Math, and we'll be tweeting out from the NBA Math account and from the Hardwood Knox account. So uh, it should be a pretty easy, smooth transition. That's what I'm hoping. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. I'm excited to the, the fact that this podcast may now be subject to the editing or critique production critique of one technical director Arjun is going to suck because he is a terrible human being one of the worst <laughs> I've ever come across and this is actually his test to see how far into the podcast he got so moral of the story I think we're diva enough to override anything so yeah we're both pretty big divas <laughs> Um, with all that said, moral of the story is we were both very excited. NBA math is fun. Andy and I firmly believe that this podcast, while lowly anticipated, is fun as hell. And <laughs> we are going to get this new era, since I can't speak that word, off with a winners and losers recap for NBA free agency. It's a little weird because it feels like I was just talking to one of my editors elsewhere about this that there are so many top, let's say, 25 to 35 names still on the board. Jermichael Green, Nerlens Noel, Pau Gasol. But I say, screw waiting. Let's get to the grades. And Andy and I were talking beforehand. Uh, we each wrote down three winners and losers from either conference. Um, so a total of six winners and six losers for both of us. We have not told each other what they are. So this is all just off the cuff, and we're hearing this from each other for the first time, and we're going to see who can outdo the other because this is clearly a contest and not at all collaborative. We hate each other. <laughs> so let's roll. Well, uh, someone who hates you, it, uh, it burns me up to agree with the point that you made about players still being available. Just as sort of a side note, this is like about as slow as a free agency period as I can remember. There are still a bunch of guys left, but I think there are some clear winners. Um, and I will start with the team that, that I consider to be the biggest winner in the entire league this offseason, and that's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Whoa. Um, <laughs> added Jimmy Butler. Lost. Okay, so I'm going to go with they, they added Jimmy Butler, Jeff Teague, Taj Gibson. Jamal Crawford is really the only addition that I – would gripe about um i get i get the concerns with jeff teague i but i actually think he kind of fits with this lineup better than ricky rubio did just because he can shoot better and i think jimmy butler's going to handle the ball a lot so you need you need shooters off of him i think gibson gives him some toughness uh familiarity with thibodeau so he should be able to learn the system real fast or reacquaint himself with the system um the players that they lost i think ricky rubio does hurt, but after that, for the most part, it was a lot of addition by subtraction for them. Uh, Shabazz Muhammad and Chris Dunn both were were pretty distinct negatives for them last season. Um, I, I think there's reason to maybe wonder about 
Zach Levine and, and still be high on him. But obviously, you do that trade 10 times out of 10 if you get Jimmy Butler back. Um, just statistically, they added almost 20 wins over replacement player, which was by far the most uh, this offseason. So that was that was just far and away my my winner. And I think all the pieces fit together pretty well. I, I understand the concerns about shooting, um, but I think – I think four or five of these guys in this lineup have the potential to shoot above league average from three, and, and I think they're going to be nightmarish defensively. So I, I really love what they did uh, over in Minnesota. They're not – I want to make this clear. They're not a loser, and they were the clear-cut above-all winner in the Jimmy Butler trade. I was very – for a team that destroyed that trade, I was very blah on the rest of their offseason for me. Um, I don't think spacing is going to be as much as a concern when you're talking about adding Jeff Teague instead of someone like George Hill. Andrew Wiggins is going to get easier shots because he's playing next to Jimmy Butler. Same deal with Towns. Jimmy Butler should get better spot-up looks than he did uh, in Chicago this past year. That should be fine. I don't understand why you still needed more shooting after that and proceeded to give Taj Gibson $14 million a year. Uh, the Jamal Crawford addition, is he your, basically your backup point guard now? Do you that, trust Tyus Yeah, that's Jones one that, that I would agree is, is pretty weird, is Jamal Crawford. But keep going. So uh, they're, they're a winner, but they should be a bigger winner. And it bothers me that they're not. So they, were, they did not make um, my list in the Western Conference. I'll tell was you, it you? I was going to ask, was it you or did I just see it on Twitter? Somebody said if they had gotten C.J. Miles and Patrick Patterson instead of Gibson and Crawford it would have even been a bigger home run. I wrote, Do you remember telling me that? Or maybe I just saw it somewhere. Someone might have said it, but I also wrote it uh, in something that I did where I said they could have essentially changed out Gibson's salary for almost Patterson and Miles together. Combined? Oh, wow. So, yeah, so that would, have been a, yeah, that would have been a bigger win. I, I see what... I think uh, <laughs> I see what they're doing with Gibson. I think he'll bring some, some defensive toughness and tenacity um, sort of a mentality to the team. I I can't really explain Jamal Crawford. Um, uh, he's been a minus for for too long, and he's getting closer to forty. So I I don't really understand what they're doing there. But I think that the addition of Butler and just how well he fits next to Wiggins and Towns, in my opinion, um, it, it was just a perfect addition to me. Again, it just they should have won the offseason more, and that, that's my only gripe with them. I, I think they're going to end up being good, and we probably discount the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is just going to be better. Yeah, we, if he we, takes another step, they could be unbelievable. Right. Uh, I just I don't and you, you know Gorgie Jang too. That's another reason why the spacing is fine. It seems like he kind of adds between two and six feet to his jumper every offseason. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I would trust him out to like eighteen right now. I don't know if he shot any threes last year. I don't. I don't not, think so off the ton. top of my head. I, I think he was okay from the corners, if I remember, too. But uh, the fact that he's been improving there, I think that helps their spacing. But the Gibson signing, man, to me was just, I, I don't know. Um, and to look at Gorgie Jang's numbers, he, sh- uh, he did shoot 45% uh, from the corners. From the corners? Year. Yeah. So. Yeah, I just looked it up. He was 16 of 43 total. On the year, small sample, but I mean, you have that range. You can pipe up that up, yeah. And look at he shot. This is the for now. We're working on two seasons in a row where he shot forty three point four percent between sixteen feet and the three point line. So again, the offense isn't a concern to me for them. 
but we could have looked at this team, and I think even the criticism of saying, oh, so you changed out Rubio for a pick and Jeff Teague, when you could have maybe, instead of paying Gibson as much money, been more aggressive with Lowry or gone after Hill, who's objectively probably a better fit. Yeah, Hill would have been a better fit. So I think those criticisms are fair. It doesn't make the Timberwolves a loser, but again, to me, I can't get over the fact that after the Butler trade, the stage was set for them to really seize the offseason, and I don't think they did. Let me try to sell it one more time. Oh, just kidding. (laughs) Um, Where do you think... Where would you put Towns right now? Is he a top 20 player? He's a top 20, top 25 for sure. Okay. And I firmly believe Jimmy Butler's top 10. Uh, At least he was last Last season. Last season, yeah. I think that's more than fair. So, um, I don't know. I think adding a top 10 player to your rising top 20 player, who I think has every chance to be the best center in the league in two or three years, um, I I just think it's a great one-two punch. I think there's still a question mark about Andrew Wiggins. He he puts up points. He hasn't really been a positive overall contributor yet. Hopefully, Jimmy Butler can help him with that. But um, I think at the very top, I just love that one-two pairing with Butler and Towns. Uh, you absolutely should. It's just the sum of the surrounding pieces, I think, could have been a lot better. <laughs> I'm with you. So, so we've spent enough time on my one, so let's jump to yours. I'm going to – this is the obvious winner, and I assume we're going to have an overlap here. The Houston Rockets, and more specifically yeah. – Daryl Morey is a gosh or goddamn magician, whatever you want to say. Like, I just, I, I thought the PJ Tucker contract was amazing, that pickup. And then all of a sudden, it's, oh, we're just going to get Mbamut for peanuts. And then it's, yep. oh, we're probably going to get Mello for just Ryan Anderson and a future pick if we can suss out a third or fourth team. Even though that trade's not done, we're assuming, even though they have. P.J. Tucker and Abba Muth, that they've drawn a line in the sand in this mellow trade talks, and it makes it hard to not like a mellow fit if they're also keeping Ariza and Eric Gordon. I just look at this roster, and the only thing that would stop me from giving the Rockets an A and then a million pluses afterwards would be the Chris Paul-James Harden dynamic. I still think there'll be a, a little bit more of a grace period there than people expect. But even that, Chris Paul shot like 50% on spot-up threes last year. He can play off Harden if he's willing to just move off the rock entirely. So uh, you just look at their offseason, and I'm, I'm the biggest advocate of just saying the Spurs can do nothing, and I'll still trust them to be one of the two best teams in the conference. But the Rockets are are testing my resolve for San Antonio uh, beyond any beyond any team in recent memory. I love that trade um, for Houston and, and the way that he pulled it off. Where he, after it was kind of broken, then he goes out and gets all those unguaranteed contracts. Um, so I echo what you said about him being a, ma- a magician, and and for the same reason, I'm not going to be surprised if they do end up figuring out the mellow trade. Um, I'm not, even though you keep hearing reports from Woj and other people, and I think Ian Begley has written stuff about this, about how mellow basically expects to be with the Rockets at this point. Um, there's still a couple moving pieces that are, that are pretty tough to figure out. We talked about this, I think in the last episode we did that Ryan Anderson contract is, is proving to be a real <laughs> tough thing for them to move. And I can see why if, if you're the Knicks and you're rebuilding, I wouldn't want to be saddled with that $20 million a year either. Um, I, I can see why Portland doesn't want it. 
So I think there's still a, a fairly significant hurdle to clear there. But even if they don't get mellow, I still I still put the Rockets down as a winner just based on what they've already done. I, I really love the Chris Paul, James Harden pairing. I get the concerns. Um, but like you said, Chris Paul has been he's been awesome off the ball in the very rare chances that he's had. Um, and when news broke after the trade that that was kind of one of the reasons he wanted to go to Houston was a chance to play off the ball. That made me even more optimistic about this pairing. I think they're going to be feeding each other <laughs> a lot. I think it's going to work. Uh, I think the fact that they supplemented it with so many defense first guys after that. So they already had Ariza there. They already had Capella there. You had Mbamute, Tucker. You got a lot of switchability. Uh, I think you lose a lot of your attitude by losing Patrick Beverly, but I, I think you pick a little bit of that back up with Tucker and, and some of the other guys they added. So that was that was a team that I marked down as a winner as well. I, I think they knocked it out of the park. Whether Melo comes there or not, I, I think they're a definite winner. Yeah, by far. I mean, I, this is all. Anything that's happened basically since the Chris Paul trade is just Daryl Morey, Sam Cassell dance. Uh, it's gravy <laughs> on top of everything. So it's even Tariq Black, like that was just a sneaky good pickup yeah, after the Lakers. That's a good point. So and and the Troy Williams deal, it's I there's I don't know what you're I'm And they you, re-signed Nene for basically as little as they possibly could. They re-signed Nene twice. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty amazing. They botched it and still got him to come back. <laughs> right. It, it was funny when he was kind of like, "Oh, I'm just it, like and he reacted quick. I don't think other free agents, specifically big men, uh, understood the lay of the land uh, as quickly as he did. Because once it was like, oh, he's not happy that they screwed him over. And then basically it felt like a day or less than a day later, he already resigned because I think it he went quick. out there and you saw it. Yeah. like, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting this money anywhere else. So, And if you're a big man who's closing in on the end of his career, what a, what a great place to play with two guys who can set was, you up. He was so good last year, too. Yeah, he really was. It was like a, it was, it was a renaissance year for him. I'm what I've tried to do because I was doing report card grades for teams the other day, whenever I came across like an A or an A plus, I tried to find like a flaw. So I was staring at the Rockets depth chart for like 35 minutes. And the, the closest I could come up with is like, well, who's really the backup point guard if, if Harden or Paul gets injured. But then I'm just like, Eric Gordon can run point in a pinch, and Mike D'Antoni can stagger and probably should stagger Chris Paul and James Harden to a noticeable degree. So the the fact that right now I think on their depth chart they have like Isaiah Taylor and, and Bobby Brown or whoever technically behind Chris Paul, you really have so much more than that. So they're they're just I don't know how good they'll ultimately be defensively. Their small ball lineups should actually probably be their best defensive lineups because of the way Tucker can defend up some positions. And Bob Mood is a sneaky good post defender, and he's a pretty good ISO defender as well. You have Ariza. So I'm not necessarily sure how good they'll be on the defensive end. They could be average to above average, but there's just looking at the roster, there aren't a ton of weaknesses or even a couple, even a few minor weaknesses. So it's just... We all expect Daryl Moore to be aggressive in the offseason, but considering where the, the Rockets really were to where they are now, it's just it's mind-blowing. I'm, I'm with you. I, it's a very deep, well-constructed roster now. I'm really excited for the D'Antoni super small ball lineups. They did it a little bit last year with Beverly, Gordon, and Harden. Um, thinking about it with Chris Paul, 
Gordon and Harden. It's and put in whoever you want at the four: Ariza, Mbamute, Tucker, uh, Capella at the five. I think those are going to be just nightmarish lineups to defend. Can we talk about their their baby death squad? You just have to throw PJ Tucker out at center, Mbamute at the four. Yeah, they have at the three. Yeah, I I think Tucker, Mbamute, or Ariza could could play like a pseudo five in those kind of lineups against the Warriors. I it's at, don't they've made themselves <laughs> themselves. That was an interesting way to that say was that. Like, is your accent <laughs> like? Have you been hiding an accent from me all these years? I don't. I think Wyoming might be the only state in the union that doesn't have an accent. I don't know where that came from. Um, but yeah, they've made themselves very compatible uh, against the Warriors and, and a team that can. <laughs> so obviously, I would still pick the Warriors in a series, but that's a team that I think that could could conceivably win two, maybe even three games against them. Uh, straight with you, and I think we've wasted enough time really just giving Daryl Morey all the praise that we could muster. <laughs> who is your neck? Oh, oh, we're moving on to the losers. Who is yeah, your? Yeah, I'll jump over to a loser. Yes, I'm excited. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to pick between my three which one I want to talk about first. I'll just say the Pacers. Oh, so we're going um, east. Look at you just vacillating between conferences. <laughs> the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I get that they needed to move Paul George. Uh, he put them in a pretty bad position um, with the way that the news came out that he was, he was definitely not coming back. And I think that killed his trade value. I think even with all that, the return that they got for him was almost shocking. <laughs> almost. I don't think anybody, <laughs> it was definitely shocking for me. I don't, I don't know if anybody would admit that it was not shocking. Um, I couldn't believe because the Thunder was a team that or yeah the Thunder was a team that wasn't even talked about as a possibility and then all of a sudden it breaks and you see the return and it just seemed like what just happened, <laughs> uh, so I think they lost that that trade in overwhelming fashion. I I think they have some interesting things going forward. I love Miles Turner. Um, I'm intrigued by the idea of Indiana like reviving Oladipo's career, um, but. <laughs> Just from a macro perspective, that was that was about as brutal a loss in a trade as as I can remember. I don't have they're a loser, so don't get me wrong. I don't have them as a loser because they accomplished what they set out to accomplish. They clearly had no interest in bottoming out next year. They clearly had no interest in sending um, Paul George to Cleveland, or if they did have an interest in it, they ultimately decided not to. It seemed like. Some it seemed it seemed like this trade was dictated uh, by one part pettiness and two parts we yeah need that's to stay a, relevant. That's one of the reasons I don't like it. I don't I don't think you should do anything with well, pettiness as a motivating factor. I think that hurt them. I mean I'm not privy to the negotiations and the other deals that they saw, but that was my first thought when the trade happened. I was like the <laughs> it seems like the primary factor here is spite. Oh for sure, and I 100 percent agree. That makes them a loser. It's just that if the Pacers, looking at their offseason aim, if the goal was to be mediocre and still maybe stay on the peripherals of the playoff race in the East, they accomplished that. You you had guys like Bojan Bogdanovic and Darren Collison, and maybe Victor Oladipo is better away from Russell Westbrook when he has a little bit more freedom to handle the ball. I don't I don't like this team. I think it it's worth it no matter what market you're in to bottom out for that one year and try and get a top pick, especially when you look at the East now, because 
how many teams are going to talk themselves into a playoff race uh, contrary to the Western Conference because everyone is so bad? You look at maybe the Knicks and the Nets will be the only teams that won't try to talk to them. The Nets are going to talk to themselves. Screw that. The Nets are going to talk themselves into trying to chase a playoff spot. The Knicks, I'm assuming they're not. And then I'll throw the Magic in there too because they're still a crap show. It, like This would have been the year to get that head start to tanking. And Oh, and of course the Hawks. I forgot about them. But They're def- Yeah, they're right. out. Go ahead. So, so my point being then is that you could have tanked and even though others would have followed suit in the middle of the season, you get that early year head start. And all of a sudden you get this top pick. You can go into free agency with some cap space in 2018, see what you do with it. But now all of a sudden you have this top prospect to develop with Miles Turner. And that's when you can try and aim to be mediocre because you have these two top guys. Instead, I get what they're doing to some degree because they're going to have squeaky clean books for the most part in 2019. But by that point, Miles Turner is going to be due for a raise and you're going to have wasted effectively two of his quality years and his cheapest years. And it's going to be a little bit harder to add talent around him and Victor Oladipo, who by that point will probably be combining to make, let's say, $40 million between them or something along those lines. Yeah, that's true. It's just, I I don't like the play, so that makes them losers to me, but this is what they set out to be, is that middling team, and I guess they hope that Turner is going to be so transcendent, he becomes their Paul George at a different position, or Victor Oladipo the same way, where you propel this team to new heights eventually, or maybe they're even banking on finding a guy like they did with Paul George a little bit later in the draft. Miles Turner himself, who they picked up, it was at the end of the lottery, right? So... I don't like the offseason, but it's tough for me to really say, hey, they sucked. That was they lost three because, worst, yeah. Right, because, just because they set out to do what they wanted to do. Or they want whatever, you know what I'm saying. It's kind of funny that uh, as you were talking about teams that might compete for the playoffs in the East, this is the third straight offseason where we've talked on the podcast about how it basically feels like like six through 13 is just this big slog of teams where nothing would surprise us. <laughs> right. And I think that's where the Pacers are again. And I think if we'd been doing this podcast for 15 years, it'd probably be about the same thing about the East <laughs> every time. Um, all right. So that's, that's my loser or one of my losers in the East is the Pacers. Which one do you got? I'm going to go with what turned out to be a very unpopular one on Twitter the other night. And what will probably make an appearance and burns my bacon a little bit later the Detroit Pistons. I like. Uh, I did have them marked, and then I took it off right before we started. I like that they picked up Avery Bradley. He's still fairly young. I was shocked to find out he's only 26 or realize he's only 26. I thought he was like 28 for some reason. Yeah, he's got a few more prime years left. But you essentially changed out Marcus Morris and Kentavious Caldwell Pope for Avery Bradley, who will possibly, maybe, probably, inevitably cost as much as Contavious Caldwell-Pope next summer. If your argument... And who I'm not sure has as much upside as Caldwell-Pope. Right. I, so Avery Bradley is really good, and I don't want to say he's overrated, but I, I just think that KCP still has a chance to be closer to transcendent than not. I might have just dropped transcendent a third time within a half an hour. That's very impressive. Um, and transcendent about KCP. Lakers fans are going to love you. 
Uh, yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how he does there. A lot of people took issue with how hard I was on the Pistons because they're saying that Kentavious Caldwell Pope isn't a superstar. He's not worth the max. I agree with all those statements right now. Kentavious Caldwell Pope is probably an average player overall at best, but he showed signs at the beginning of last year where he could run some more pick and roll as the primary ball handler. His shooting improved for uh, the first half of last season. I wonder what would he be like on a team that did a better job of spacing the floor. Uh, he, I'm assuming he's going to be even better, and I expect him to be better offensively with the Los Angeles Lakers. Would Contavious Caldwell Pope, the version we saw for the first half of last year, have been even better in Detroit had Reggie Jackson been healthy and himself upon return? Defensively, there are a lot of numbers. They're mixed. Contavious Caldwell Pope handled a lot of difficult defensive assignments. And some of a couple them, years ago, he was like the Curry stopper. Remember that? <laughs> I actually don't. I thought the Curry stopper I, was and will always remain Matthew Delvadova. <laughs> Well, I'm sure there are plenty of Australian fans uh, who will listen to this and and uh, say that. Um, I, I distinctly remember somebody either writing or talking about how um, whenever Golden State played Detroit, KCP switched on to Curry and was was a problem for him. But anyway, go ahead. I The, the defensive numbers are kind of up and down on him is where you were. Right. And you know what? Avery Bradley is going to switch on to point guards, too. Here's where, yeah, that's here, true. Here's where my, my biggest qualm is. You hard-capped yourself with Langston Galloway. Yeah, that, that was it, very weird. That made it exponentially harder to keep Caldwell Pope because you don't have the pieces elsewhere to trade and just dump salary so that you could have kept Caldwell Pope. I get that you didn't want to pay him more than five years and $80 million, but let's not pretend that this was a good decision because... Reggie Jackson is injured and basic was injured and basically immovable now, or because you overpaid Andre Drummond for development that he has yet to reach. He's he's another player who's who's tough to look at because he's still young. The talent is there, but he just makes a lot of bad decisions on the offensive end, even on the defensive end too. Those deals are bogging you down as well, and that doesn't make letting KCP walk ostensibly for nothing when you really think about it. That doesn't make it smart. And for me. Had the outcome ultimately been he left, fine. But at least put yourself in a position to really yeah. let it play out. Don't hard cap yourself for Langston Galloway. A quality player who's a little bit, if not terribly redundant with Ish Smith and Reggie Jackson on your roster. And then the whole look of, remember the trade package reported by Basketball Insiders is Michael Scotto uh, about flipping Reggie Jackson for Alexis Ajincha, maybe... Uh, yeah, Quincy Pondexter that. and Etwan Moore. That's how low you're going to sell on yeah. Jackson. But part of the problem was Caldwell Pope. Like you didn't. You, you also lost Marcus Morris in this, who was on a pretty good deal. I, I again, Avery Bradley is a terrific fit. How much is he going to cost next summer? Is his ceiling as high as Caldwell Pope's? I don't think so. Caldwell Pope is still an unknown commodity in many ways, and I, I don't like the idea of giving up on a 24 year old who flashed a lot to me. Uh, in the first part of last year, but I especially don't like it when you didn't really give it a chance to play out. And I know the money is going to throw people off, but ha- had they not hard capped themselves with Galloway, what if they were the ones that ended up uh, giving Caldwell Pope a little bit more of a one-year deal? Or what if you were able ultimately to get him for the five-year $80 million price point because he realized 
that his market had kind of withered away and died. You still would have needed uh, to have dumped salary maybe because you don't want to pay an insane luxury tax bill. And I kind of thought that's where the logic of the hard cap came in is like now we're forcing ourselves to not have to pay this huge bill. I just, I don't, it was just, it was unsettling to me how that whole thing played out. And I think if, if you're going to make this decision and and here's where I hope my my rambling kind of resonates with people, if this is a move you make, fine, but it needs to give you a discernible direction or make you appreciably better. This did neither. And I, I, even if it's a matter of Stan Van Gundy, just having a ton of faith in Luke Kennard and Stanley Johnson. And we know he loves Stanley Johnson. I I just, this doesn't do anything for me. It didn't move the needle in one way or the other. And it didn't really point toward what you're trying to accomplish down the line. Yeah. I'm with you. When the, uh, when I first heard the Langston Galloway deal, I was, very confused, and it almost made me think. Well, they've they've kind of already made up their minds on KCP. Um, it was weird because Stan and I was around them for a day when they were in New York playing the Knicks. And by the way, covering the Knicks at Madison Square Garden is one of the most depressing experiences <laughs> just that you could ever have. Uh, but it's gonna it's all going in the right direction now, Dan. You guys yeah, got Steve Mills. Anyway, it. Uh, <laughs> it 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 seemed like Stan Van Gundy was high on Caldwell Pope he he said it at like the beginning of the year that he was basically their best player and then he talked about knowing what's coming on the free agency market and then he talked about it being a top priority and I'm not saying that the Pistons lowballed him five years and 80 million dollars as Jake Fisher at SI.com said they offered him that's a lot of money and there's no guarantee that Caldwell Pope long term is going to match that annual salary just because he's making this one-year gamble with the Lakers. But it was the way it unfolded, and especially how it unfolded with Langston Galloway being the player that hard-capped you, yeah. I was it boggled my mind. If you just look at, um, and I hope I'm not missing anybody, but if you just look at who they added and lost, they added Langston Galloway, Eric Moreland, and Avery Bradley, and they lost Marcus Morris, Aaron Baines, and Caldwell Pope. That's, I think it would be really hard to argue that they they even came close to winning <laughs> in the offseason. So yeah. I'm with you. And it, it, Right, when you look at it, if you kind of step back from the Caldwell Pope situation and, and, and just look at their offseason in the aggregate, it, it doesn't look great. And I think, Yeah, it was bad. I, I think you said Marcus Morris is on a decent contract. I think he's, he's on a really good contract. I, I think that was another loss for them was losing him. Right. Um, I'm not – I like go back and forth with him. He seems like he might – I, I go eventually... back and forth on both of the Morris twins all the time. <laughs> Fair. So it seems like he might be an average wash on both ends of the floor in his best year. And that's fine. You know, two, what is it, two years and $10 million were left on his deal. So that's that's more than fine. But and, and to throw this out there, according to NBA Math's total points added, Caldwell Pope was the Pistons' second most valuable player last year. And that's with – what can only be described as the second half of the season or a third of the season just being awful for him. Was number one Drummond? R- number one was Tobias Harris. and he, uh, was, okay. he was there for much. Call, KCP was with him for a while. He was ahead of him, I remember. But Tobias Harris was pretty good last year. Um, they are in such a weird position because <laughs> Drummond and Jackson and are kind of paid like the faces of the franchise. And 
in terms of what they're actually doing on the basketball court, they're just not. <laughs> yeah, Jackson wasn't even their fifth best player last year, probably, and Drummond wasn't one of their where, where, where was two Drummond? best players. Drummond was third. So he was third? Uh, he's, okay. Here's the thing. So with total points I added, just, go with, ahead. with defensive box plus minus, there, a lot of, you know, defensive rebounding is weighted in those, the defensive yeah. point save. So, of course, Andre Drummond's going to look good there. And I think Andre Drummond's a very good player. Uh, I make fun of his post-ups because they turn into sometimes what amounts to these mid-range hook shots, it looks like. But if you can they get need him... to give up that experiment. If it's not... three if, years. I get why you kind of need to pacify him. I don't necessarily think you need to anymore in today's NBA. These bigs kind of just need to accept the direction. But just get him to go deeper or use his angles a little bit better so he's not throwing yeah, up junk. Yeah, teach him that, that. You know, I don't want to see mid-range hooks. He averaged... He averaged fewer than 14 points last season, and Rudy Gobert, I think, averaged maybe 14 and a half, and Rudy he never Rudy Gobert isn't up. good enough to tie Hassan Whiteside's shoes, so let's not even talk about <laughs> it. I should have known you would do that. Um, one last thing on Drummond. I, was, I wrote an article uh, about trade rumors the other day for Bleacher Report. His combined box plus minus his first two years in Detroit was 1.9, and then... Um, Stan Van Gundy got there, and I remember myself included. We were a ton of people were like, "He's going to turn Drummond into the next Dwight Howard." His combined box plus minus under Van Gundy is zero point one. It's 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 <laughs> like I said a minute ago. They're just in such a weird spot. It's just not working. Right. What they're doing. It's yeah. It's and bizarre. They, I, I get so maybe maybe they saw that too, and they were trying to make a change, but it wasn't it wasn't a good change, or it wasn't enough of a change. Right, they, um, they, they, and we can't necessarily criticize the Drummond contract because a ton of teams would have maxed him out. Maybe they don't yeah, give him the fifth year, else. but yeah, That's he, for sure. he would have gotten maxed off for somewhere else. And uh, I don't necessarily think a lot of it has to do with the drastic shift of the way offenses are built over the past half decade. To yeah, where it's happened very quickly. Yeah, yeah to where sure. someone like Drummond isn't going to be just as valuable inherently. So. The thing is, he he is the guy who could be that kind of center that fits modern basketball too. If you could just if you could just get him to buy into the fact that you are going to score fourteen or fifteen points a game on nothing but dunks, um, and I, I think he's physically capable of that. It's just they haven't tried to to gear it that way. Some yet. of his defensive maybe Van Gundy is still like traumatized by the Dwight Howard years <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't, but some of his defensive tendencies are are what worry me more because even again, yeah. I, he might even I think he could be a decent post up option when he's in the right position uh, defensively. And I Pistons powered editor Duncan Smith had mentioned this to me. He thinks he could kind of see Drummond being a DeAndre Jordan type guy on defense. That would be fantastic. And I guess he does have the physical tools. DeAndre Jordan has like this lateral gate of a wing where he can kind of switch. Yeah, he can move really well, that's so for sure. I don't know that Drummond necessarily has that, and I haven't necessarily seen enough from him to be like, oh, his defensive IQ is through the roof and he'll he'll eventually get there. Some of some of the stuff he does just often He has some work to do there, that's right. for sure. So and it look, if that's what he turns into, perfect. He he ha- the tools seem like they're probably there, but this all it, it's like you said, it's just an awkward situation, some of which was unavoidable because I don't, even though John Wall didn't like the deal, I didn't hate the Reggie Jackson deal back then. And maybe he'll end up being himself after having a, 
a training camp or an entire offseason to really heal. They mentioned that he kind of rushed back last year, and then they shut him down toward the end of the season. At the same time, I don't think it bodes well that he's being linked to kind of these trash trade packages yeah. from, from the Pelicans. So, But the Drummond deal is there. A lot of people say what you want to say about the Boban deals and the, the John Moore deals. Every, a lot of people whiffed on the salary cap, and I, I've even been quick to say it this summer. I, I had no idea how much the market was going to level off right now. And so, Tons of people misread the summer of 16. Right. So it's, um, it's just, it's, a, it's like you said, and we've probably spent more time than anyone needs to uh, on the Pistons. Yeah, I don't think we've ever talked the Pistons yeah, as much. It's just, they're fascinating <laughs> because they're so they damn weird. Um, yep, I, I think we've, <laughs> like we just said, we've, we've uh, hit the Pistons pretty hard. Yes, I'm now flip to side over. B, and then we'll talk about the Pistons some more in part two. <laughs> okay. Well, in the meantime, I'm going to jump back over to the Western Conference and give another winner. So we agreed on the Rockets. Um, so my first winner was the Timberwolves. My last winner uh, is the Thunder. I I think... Overlap. Okay, good. <laughs> I think this is a team... I just told somebody this on Twitter. Uh, I would not be shocked to see them finish second in the West. Um. I know Houston is going to be really good. I know San Antonio will probably be there again. I just think, to me, Paul George is, even if he's only going to be there for a year, he is like a perfect wing complement to Russell Westbrook, to me. Uh, he's obviously not as good as Kevin Durant, uh, probably not even close, but he is a superstar wing who's not going to demand quite as many touches or as many opportunities to, to create for himself as Durant did. I, I think that one-two punch, um, it's about as good as you can get with, with Russell Westbrook and, and sort of his flaws and the way that he dominates the ball. And I also love the Patrick Patterson signing. I think he slots in perfectly uh, at power forward, a position that they, they played Demonis Sabonis for most of last year in. And while there are, you know, plenty of positive signs for him, he's a young guy and there's some things to be excited about. Generally speaking, he was a pretty significant minus for them. So their starting lineup of Westbrook, Roberson, George, hopefully Patterson, Adams, um, I, to me, that's one of the best fives in the league right now. Without question. And speaking of Roberson, man, did I whiff on his contract. I never envisioned him losing money from that. And there was this like we just said, a bunch of people misread the summer of sixteen, and it made this summer really weird. It's, and it's guys I, like Roberson and, and other. I mean, KCP. We just spent a bunch Green of time on. Michael Green doesn't even have a contract. Yeah, yet. he hasn't even been signed. Like, there's a bunch of people that we thought four or five months ago were going to get these big deals, and the money just disappeared so fast. Now, you know what I might? You're right. Everything you said about Paul George is just spot on. He's the perfect complement to Russell Westbrook. People kind of like to detract, saying, well, they're probably going to rent him. I don't think that's for certain, because as you said, if they finish second in the West, if they finish third in the West, that's going to be a tough situation to leave unless you're going to the Lakers in conjunction with another star. That's just going to be a tough <laughs> with spot. With Westbrook? But, yeah, maybe Westbrook <laughs> himself. Uh, it didn't work in Oklahoma City. Let's just go to L.A. and hope, hope for something different. <laughs> um, if, if you lose him, okay, you got out from under Victor Oladipo's contract. Yeah, I and, think it was still a home run trade, even right. if he leaves. And I, if Westbrook leaves, then this kind of affords you a fresh start. You have Steven Adams on the books on a long-term deal, and then you have uh, Robertson's bargain bin 
agreement. It's just you have like a nice little fresh slate, and this wasn't the Kevin Durant situation. I liked what they did where they kind of just floated the bill that year. They traded Serge Ibaka to divest him into Oladipo and Sabonis. This year they're pushing the bill and went after another high-key guy, and I, I loved it. My favorite thing about their offseason, though, might have been the Patrick Patterson addition. And yeah, it's perfect. Um, I, I, I sent this to you yesterday because it was so uh, – it's, it's annoying when people say we don't watch basketball. Uh, it's annoying when they say we don't look at stats. It's mind-blowing. But, th- but this, this was particularly hysterical to me. Someone wrote in a comment when I gave the Thunder an A++++, the Thunder offseason is overrated. Paul George was good get but other than that they didn't solve any of their shooting or bench problems and here's the kicker Patrick Patterson is mediocre at best three-point shooter who is getting a ton of love from writers who don't look at analytics <laughs> Patrick Patterson was is an analytics darling he was second on the Raptors last year in plus minus second in net rating and any lineup basically that they threw him out as a small ball five was this souped up superpower and now you get to do that on a Thunder team that's – they're not as set up to space the floor like the Raptors were, but they've got a, many more interesting defenders. And just think of that lineup there with Patterson uh, at the five. You throw, I guess, Paul George at the four, Roberson at the three, Westbrook is your one. And, and uh, why am I blanking on who would be the fifth member of that lineup? Abrines maybe. Yeah, Abrines would be fun. So it's just – uh, I guess Terrence Ferguson even would be super interesting depending on how he's doing. So I, I don't know how you don't like this offseason. They, they were a clear winner by a mile. And one of something that's probably not talked about enough is if Russell Westbrook signs his extension this summer, their offseason is probably the reason why. I don't know if you stand pat that he'll just sign this extension. We don't even know if he'll sign it now. So if he does sign it before next year, you, you better believe it's because the Thunder went out and did all of this. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with all that. I <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be accused of what you were by that commenter of not paying enough attention to analytics. I'm always the guy who gets accused of never watching the games. Um, I just got accused of both. That's versatility. <laughs> I don't I don't watch I don't watch basketball or look at stats. I just talk about it I'm completely ignorant. Of anything. So he called him a, a mediocre three-point shooter somewhere in there. He shot 37%. He's um, inconsistent. I, I'll say this. like, There's a lot about Patrick Patterson offensively that's inconsistent. But, I, what but if you have a 6'9 guy who can yeah, – he's definitely a threat. I mean, 37% over the course of your career at 6'9 is going to force defenders uh, to come out to the three-point line, which is a lot more than can be said about Sabonis last year and – um, I think Canner can maybe pull guys out a little bit. He can't pull them out as far as, as Patrick Patterson can. Um, Paul George is going to help the spacing. I, I think they have, in one summer, made this, this roster so much better tailored to Russell Westbrook than it was last season. I'm, I'm, the West is going to be super hard to predict, too. I, I think I could name, I already did, three teams that, that could conceivably finish second. Um, but they are very much in that conversation to me. Uh, 100%. Um, so I, I think that wraps up the Thunder. They're good. People should know they're good. And yeah. I promise we'll try and watch some basketball <laughs> this year if we can. Um, I guess since we overlapped, yeah, I guess since we overlapped, uh, I'll throw out one of my losers. We haven't done a Western Conference loser yet, right? Yeah, I just realized that too, actually. Yeah. Um, 
the Grizzlies by default are a loser for me. They I have, I have them too. Nice. It's just <laughs> you they they couldn't have really done anything more, but now we've reached the point where grit and grind is basically dead. You lose Zach Randolph to the Kings, which is fine. It's not like he was great last year. You lose Vince Carter, which is to the Kings also, which is actually pretty damning because he might which have been that, your best wing. Yeah, he was really good for them last year. Tony Allen, we're going to assume, isn't going to go back. So you lose a, a very good defender who can't shoot, but he's still a very good defender. And some of the assignments he can tackle, still, I, I still marvel at. It's not just him switching on to point guards. It's him being matched up against a power forward randomly and living to kind of tell that tale. Uh, there was some stuff to like about their offseason. This Mario Chalmers signing that happened just a few hours before we started recording this, like that, that's kind of fine. You know, he was really good for them when he played 55 games. And He's an Achilles guy, though, isn't he? Right. So it's to, that's but, always like, scary. That's a nice flyer. but And, you know, Ben McLemore, Tyreek Evans, they, they were cheap deals. The Evans I, one I don't mind. I don't, I don't mind the McLemore. Yeah, I mean, he can use him as, a, as strictly a spot-up shooter. With, with the resources they had, I guess it was fine. But to know that it looks like you took a step back because you had to let some guys who were still valuable go, Vince Carter, and then again, presumably Tony Allen. And the Jermichael Green situation is just weird because if for some reason you lose him, who are you throwing out at power forward? And, and people, I mean, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's assume he can even stay on the court first. And that, that's the other thing, which is why you look so much worse. If he doesn't return to form, you're just stuck. And what if yeah, Jermichael they, Green They might have killed themselves. They, they can match whatever offer he gets, but what if they don't, they don't because they're not willing to pay that much money for him? Obviously, the cap is drying up, up now, but he, if he doesn't come back, they're, they're just sort of screwed. Who, who is their starting power forward? Do you use Chandler Parsons right out of the gate as a small ball four? You go, like, go? huge with Brandon Wright and Mark Gasol? I don't think that would... Mark, very well. I, Marc Gasol might work alongside almost anyone who's a little bit more mobile because of how well Gasol shot from three. But I guess yeah. you could use Brandon Wright. I mean, do you do you try out like a, a Von Rab? Like what James Ennis? Do you just throw him there? <laughs> I the way you started this is kind of why I picked him as a loser too. You said they were kind of a loser by default, um, and I I totally agree with that. They just with as many teams as there were that improved in the West for them to either kind of stand pat or I would I would say they took at least a small step back. There's a chance that this this era, even with as good as Mike Conley is and Mark Gasol is, um, there's a chance they missed the playoffs finally. The Nuggets are significantly better. Um, now that I look at the Nuggets, I'm, I'm kind of surprised I didn't pick them as a winner too, although we only had three. Um, the Pelicans, I think, will be better. Uh the Lakers, while I don't think they will win the playoffs, will 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 make it tougher for some of those other teams in like the nine ten range than they did last year. Uh, I think there's a very real possibility that the Grizzlies finally miss the postseason this year. I I don't disagree, and that's a big part of it too. Is when there's so much now talent in the Western Conference, and I think the the Mavericks said they're rebuilding, so we won't include them there. Subtract them, and you still have eleven teams that can talk themselves in. To but yeah, I mean, right now. even the rebuilding teams like the Mavericks, like on a given night, it wouldn't surprise me to see Dennis Smith, Seth Curry, Wes Matthews, Harrison Barnes, and Nerlens Noel beat the Grizzlies. Hey, let's let Dallas resign Nerlens Noel first. Yeah, that's another one that's just kind of floating out there still. But 
Yeah, I'm with the, the Grizzlies for basically all the same is reasons there, that you said. So if Chandler Parsons returns to form, does that make all the difference in the world? No, <laughs> I don't think it does. <laughs> I mean, I think he's, I think he's pretty good. Um, I, I think it's a problem if he's, if he's sort of the, he was playing the so keystone well. that you're relying on. <laughs> he was playing so well before he went down in Dallas that last year. It was just watching him was incredible. If they get that Chandler Parsons, which I don't think they will, that that'll be a pretty fiery offensive addition. Somebody, I think it was, it might have been on Chris Mannix's podcast, and, and Howard Beck was the guest. They started talking about, will it get to a point where they might have to think about trading Mark Gasol? Yeah, I saw Mannix put that in an article too, and I, I mean, if you start off slow or if it becomes clear that you're not going to compete this year where's your path to more cap space down the line especially if you've just added Jermichael Green on a semi long-term deal you just don't you don't have it but it's also tough because if you're moving Marcus all why are you keeping Mike Cunley just because he's a little yeah. younger there that's another another team that's in a weird spot they're like the Detroit you Pistons of the, in that... of the West yeah, except that you say. can actually <laughs> Uh, talk yourselves into them a little bit more highly, I would think. Yeah, I can talk myself more into the Grizzlies because I think that I, I think Mike Conley is a star. He's, I don't know if there is a true star. He's fantastic, Mark Gasol is a beast for most of last year. Yeah, I think Mark Gasol is a star too. But I, at, at the same time, there's it's pretty easy to see the end of the star window for him or the star tunnel, whatever. I don't know what analogy I'm going with here. Yep. Um, um, <laughs> so, so we I, have. We need another winner from you, and maybe don't make okay. it a Western Conference winner this time. We don't have an East winner yet, which I guess is fitting. I will start in the with most the Philadelphia place. 76ers. Oh. Overlap alert! Yeah, we're we're uh, on the same page here in for the most part today. Not to be. I like the JJ Redick signing, especially the fact that it's only one year. What's that? Didn't say anything. He's still there. Oh. <laughs> That's my fault then. I like the J.J. Redick signing. Um, I think one year at that price is fine. Uh, I think the fact that they have finally started to uh, put some of these assets together and make make more immediate moves like the Marco Fultz trade is really good. Um, and then I think just letting everything else sort of grow organically is was the perfect strategy. They they're hoping that these guys stay healthy and continue to improve the young guys. And then they supplemented it with good vets, uh, Reddick and Amir Johnson. I, I think it, it was basically as, as close to as perfect an off season as you can have. If you're the Sixers, everything you said, and look at how perfectly they set themselves up for next summer with those one year deals yep. for Johnson and Reddick. They're going to sleepwalk their way to $30 million in cap space. Maybe you extend Covington now, so that that cap hit goes on the books for next year, but you could basically offset the difference by passing on Nick Stauskas's hold. And let, so let's assume Covington gets twelve million per year around. Stauskas's hold is eleven point four million, and you don't really need him. Uh, you go ahead and announce that, yeah. yeah jettison him, and jo- that's with Joel Embiid's cap hold that they'll get to thirty million. They could extend him now. Uh, he has an eighteen point three million dollar restricted free agent hold. If he's not going to sign for less than that now you might as well wait um you're gonna have 30 million dollars in cap space and if Simmons Fultz and Embiid all end the season healthy or are all healthy for most of the year 
what free agent isn't giving Philly the time of day? You have Ben Simmons tweeting emoji eyes at LeBron James. And I don't think yeah, LeBron James. I was James just going to mention that. LeBron James isn't going to go there. At the same time, LeBron James wouldn't be crazy to go there or to yeah, give them course. a meeting. Um, I was going to say the exact same thing. I, I, if I had to pick a spot for LeBron, it would probably be the Lakers. But I'm with you. I think that should be a very, very attractive destination. We'd, I, go ahead. If I was going to pick a spot for LeBron, it would be the Spurs. And I, I get that he would probably I, go against a lot of what they do. I love that idea too but like one Kawhi Leonard and him wow but two I don't ever want LeBron to stop being LeBron so send him to the team that's gonna try like hell I was gonna say the same thing nobody manages the end of a career yep nobody manages the end of a career better than the Spurs anyway that would be awesome (laughs) another question I had for you uh on the Sixers you made me think about it when you talked about um Embiid's situation would you would you max him out now, or would you wait? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't max him out one because don't cost yourself the extra flexibility for money that you're just going to be given out next year. I get that you subject yourself to trade kickers and kind of all all those hoops, but he has 31 games under his yeah. belt. If he's if he's going to give you less I think than it's his too cap scary hold, too. if if he's going to sign for like I don't know, let's say 15 million or something, if it's going to be less than his cap hold, I probably roll the dice right now but looking at the Sixers it's restricted free agency no matter unless he's willing to take an insane discount I I might just wait regardless because like there's not really a deal that a team can levy at him next summer that you'll regret matching if you have the impulse to match does that make sense because if if someone's gonna max out Embiid after he injures himself again saying this year knock on something let's hope that doesn't happen yeah then you know what that's their risk but if you're thinking about matching, it's because he just had a good he year. He was healthy. Right. Exactly, yeah. So I, don't, I wouldn't give him that. max I money now. It's an interesting debate. It's crazy to say, and I've talked about this with friend of the podcast and Sixers apologist Alec Nathan. He's played <laughs> in 31 games, and we're talking about would you max him out today because you might have to. <laughs> it's crazy. And yeah, he's, the sample size is minuscule, but he was so good. He was like... He almost looked like the next evolution in basketball he, <laughs> while he was out he there. He was the unicorn we didn't know we had. Yeah. No one I mean, he was doing all the things sh- that yeah. everybody said he might be the next Hakeem Olajuwon, and he did all that and then some. He was like, like he a, showed all the yeah. things that made him the next Hakeem, plus he shot threes. It and was switched. His defensive switch. And he was, was like, yeah. he's huge. One thing that always alarms me about him is when I see pictures, he looks not just tall, but like very very strong he's gotten huge since his like, days at like Kansas. someone chiseled him from a slab of marble <laughs> sometimes i wonder if he's like too big and that's part of the reason he gets hurt a lot like maybe he's carrying too much weight but they they're like strength and conditioning people know stuff i mean they know their stuff a lot better than i do but um let's hope so because their first round picks keep getting injured yeah maybe i should maybe they should hire me um <laughs> So that's a winner for me. Should we jump back to losers with you? <laughs> yes. That that, did, that came out weird. I didn't intend it that way. <laughs> uh, I just took it as you calling me a loser, and now I'm upset, so I'm going to repeat to myself. So a loser for me, and I this bet I'm assuming this is going to be um, a mutual one, is Cleveland. Yeah, that was my last one. This is what I want to stress, and I, I don't know if you saw my rant on Twitter about this. They're also in a weird spot 
because given their cap sheet, we they couldn't, couldn't do much. They, yeah. You can't really expect more from them other than chasing Jeff Green and being in the mix for Derrick Rose. Like those in the vacuum of their situation are fine if solid moves. And you can't penalize them for missing out on Paul George and Jimmy Butler because they were probably offering basically all they could. And it really seems like the Pacers were hell-bent on not sending Paul George to the Cavaliers. Where I'm going to kill them, where they need to be killed, is how they've handled the front office situation and the optics and LeBron's upcoming free agency. You had one job. Don't piss off LeBron. (laughs) And we have a report from USA Today's Jeff Zilgit that he's frustrated with the offseason. And again, if he's mad about the personnel, he's pretty largely responsible for the product that's coming out on the floor right now. But you had a competent general manager in David Griffin, whom LeBron liked, and you showed him the door. Then you wasted all this time chasing Chauncey Billups only to not get Chauncey Billups because, per all those reports, you lowballed him. Like, come the F on. Like, honestly, just... And I, there have been the reports that the Cavs were close to getting Jimmy Butler and Paul George. We'll never really know how close, but yeah. David Griffin was the one talking with these guys right up until he left. What if he was able to broker this deal just because the timing aligned or because he was able to do something that kind of made Kevin Pritchard more open to moving Paul George uh, to someone in the Eastern Conference. It's just, what a way to really bungle what seemed like simple decisions. And now we saw the reports during the NBA Finals that people think LeBron is going to leave. The talk has already started. Is Have we reached the point where it's not, like if I said right now I think LeBron is going to leave Cleveland in 2018, that that's not even kind of ridiculous, right? That might even be no. It's it, become it's majority. It, I, I would, yeah. I was going to say a lot of people might even put it as like more than a fifty-fifty proposition now. I would. Would you? Would I've you even gotten that? to the point. I, I would probably have slightly more. I, what I was just going to say is I've almost gotten to the point where I refrained from tweeting this because I get <laughs> I get sick of the mentions enough as it is. Um, if they are. If they are like 80% sure he's going to leave at the end of this year, is there any chance they would entertain like a King's Ransom type of deal at the trade deadline? I don't know. That's a tough that, question. I, it's really tough. And that's, that's why I'm a coward and didn't put it on Twitter. I, I, honestly, that, that's a tough I, – I have no words. Yeah. So I think the only here here's my thinking. The only the only way it would possibly even get thrown out there is if it if it looks like he's like like I said 80% likely to leave and they're kind of underwhelming. Um and I think that's two things. Those are two kind of high bars to reach. So I don't <laughs> when I say this it's it's an extremely unlikely thing, but I we've gotten to the point where I don't think it's impossible. I I can see why you wouldn't have talked about that on Twitter. <laughs> but, I mean, do you agree? Like, even if it's a 1% chance, like, just the fact that that thought would even enter my mind is kind of crazy. That's how bad the front office has done in the last couple of years. Right. I, 
it's just and let's not lose sight of the fact that amid all this the Cavaliers are basically still the toast of the Eastern Conference the Celtics definitely yeah, closed they, the gap this offseason but they're if they're healthy they'll still cruise to the finals I think <laughs> right it seems like that so I just but do they want to I mean <laughs> cruise to the finals and then get blasted by the Warriors again I, I'm, I don't know it's I it, that's why it's bad because you didn't close the gap or maybe we should say the solar system separating you from <laughs> Golden State but what were really, you, the only thing they could have done to do that, though, was was land Paul George or Jimmy Butler. Right, and and you, I don't know how close they were to doing either of those things. And I don't think that you can hold it against them if they didn't, because that they yeah. weren't necessarily in that position. If the, the stuff you can control or the places where you can upgrade or make sure you're doing the right things, you need to make sure that's what's happening. And that's where the Cavaliers are failing. And then to sign Jose Calderon wider off the bat and then all of a sudden be linked to Derrick Rose. And then go to Derrick Rose. Yeah, that's I, so Obviously, <laughs> okay, you didn't know. Maybe you didn't know at the beginning of the offseason. A lot of teams yeah. probably thought the market for Derrick Rose might have been semi-competitive. But I don't necessarily think that Jose Calderon was a guy you would have got burned on if you waited. And, and just, as crazy as this sounds, Calderon might even fit better with LeBron than Derrick Rose, too. <laughs> Oh, I no. mean, if all he has to do is stand out there and shoot threes, I would I would much prefer that to be Calderon than Rose in He's that probably role. Probably a better playmaker too. Rose is definitely quicker and more athletic. Um, yeah, I think there are there are different things that Rose would bring to the Cavs that Calderon obviously can't. But I'm with you, like doubling down when you've already signed this backup point guard. Now all of a sudden you're interested in Rose. It's it's been a weird off season for them. Right, and a I, slight I, step back, I think. You know, Kyrie Irving put it best. They're in a peculiar situation. For just a team that's as good and they're a healthy contender who, by all appearances, is probably going to get back to the NBA Finals, and yet it seems like the sky is falling. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to jump back to winners. I don't know how we fell into this uh, rut, but I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm going to say the Celtics no. were a winner. <laughs> I mean, Gor- I mean I this is the same lost. joke, but Gordon Hayward signed with them twice. I would say that's a pretty big win. Yeah. <laughs> Not like Nene. Um, I think I think Amir Johnson, Olenek, Bradley. I, I think those are all meaningful losses. I think in the aggregate they still come out comfortably ahead. Uh, Gordon Hayward is is instantly their best wing. I think he fits pretty well with Isaiah Thomas because he's not a ball demanding type of a guy. Um, he scored his twenty plus points on about sixteen shots a game. So so I don't think he's going to take many shots away from Thomas. In fact, his attempts might go down a little bit from where they were in Utah. I think Marcus Morris, like I said earlier, that's a good contract. I think they have two of the best forward contracts in the league now with him and Jay Crowder. Um, Crowder remember is, that sign-and-trade stuff with Jay Crowder and Gordon Hayward? Some Jazz fans were it so mad at It was close. There was no way it was ever close, but... It's some some of Jazz Nation, some, and I want him, I'm not painting everyone with a broad brush here. They were just telling me that I was crazy for saying that because why wouldn't you just give the Jazz Jay Crowder? Or yeah, it was very weird how many people thought it was just like a given that that was going to happen. It seemed they even, honestly even thought the, that Gordon Hayward owed them something and was orchestrating <laughs> this. Which this, given the situation and like how bad it seemed like he genuinely felt it. for leaving, yeah. like maybe I there was a part of me that thought was this a a condition of him coming like before anything even got out, just you have to give them Jay Crowder and that's compensation or else I won't come. Uh, it, but it was the fact that the argument was, well, why wouldn't the Celtics do it? 
You know it was Obviously. worse than Jazz fans thinking that, though? Celtics fans. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bill Simmons in a podcast was talking about how how bad the Jazz offseason was, and he said two or three times, he's like, why didn't they just take Drake Crowder? He was there. They could have had him. <laughs> based on all the reporting that I saw, it was not close. Um, and Danny Ainge is exactly the kind of GM who would ask for way too much for Jay Crowder uh, for, for any team to be willing. It doesn't make sense because you, you need his contract no, now more than ever. Makes, um, the one I mean, it makes tons was, of sense for Utah if they oh, could have sure. finagled Maybe, it somehow, but I, I would, it never made sense for I Boston. I would put the Jazz on my winner's list if they got Jay Crowder in, in, a, in a Gordon Hayward's departure. The one thing that... Uh, I, I don't want to say I forget, but Boston loses Avery Bradley, whom I really like, even though we just had that whole Detroit discussion. And I'm like, part of me is always like, man, I don't know, maybe I would have given up Marcus Smart in that situation just because Avery Bradley just seems like such a perfect complimentary fit. And then, I'm, and then I remember, oh, you just got Marcus Morris for nothing for the next yep. two years. And, given what and I think Baines is a good cost, addition for them too. He looks like, like a beefed-up Gordon Hayward, by the way. I know that joke yeah, on Twitter, I, said, uh, I saw that, and I was like, wow. I wanted somebody to Photoshop Hayward's hair and beard onto to Baines and vice versa. Um, you need to because they're the same person. It's just sometimes he takes HG. <laughs> Hayward just needs to grow his out. <laughs> I think Baines is a sneaky good signing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they even started Horford Baines at the 4-5. That would be a terrible decision. You have all would these it? wings you need to steer into it. You have, I, if, what if he plays like 18 to 20 minutes a game? That's, look, play him. Do not start him. I just don't. I mean, I get. Been, their problem for, so, for two or three years now has been just getting killed in terms of physicality and rebounds. What if okay. you can at least establish a little bit of that for the first couple minutes of each half? I mean, you can still stagger as many of those wings as you want in there, too. It's just, I can't... I I mean... But you're playing your, like... You're playing your size trump card right off the bat, which makes it a little bit harder to stagger minutes. No, you have all these wings, and if you kind of start that way, it's... I don't know. It seems like it would be easier to adjust from going small to big. So are you saying you just... You would never have Baines and Horford on the floor together? No. He would okay. just be exclusively not, backup? I'm not saying never, but you have all these wings for a reason, and I yeah. might be more inclined to go if you really want Baines on the Should floor. Should you go Morris Horford then? What's this that? Is, this is an interesting debate. Well, I, I asked, would you go Morris Horford? I think the options that they could do in terms of a starting lineup. Or do you go Crowder Horford? I like Crowder Horford. You can go – if you want to go Hayward Horford – and when you want to go with bigger lineups, you know, Hayward, Baines, and Crowder on the floor at the same time kind of help you there. It, I as a, as just a uh, side note on top of hope Stevens plays Hayward at the four. Because that was one thing I always wanted Quinn Snyder to do, and he never did. And, and I think with Boston, and like you've said a couple times now, they have enough of these, like, two through four kind of guys. That they could play him there. It's just so I, th- I think so there's a lot ways. of interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of positional versatility there. That's for sure. We're definitely, and you know what? We're getting too nuanced into it because Brad Steven has come out and said that there are three positions now. It's like yeah, big wing and point guard. So they're yeah. just not. I'm interested to see. You have Marcus Smart, so it's probably not a huge problem. But I'm interested to see how you cover up for Isaiah Thomas now because even with Smart, once you lose Bradley, there's going to be. A lot of guys who, you know, Jalen Brown, Jay Crowder, who aren't necessarily used to defending point guards that much, who are going to have to switch on to I more think, of them. 
I'm not too worried about that, actually. I, I think Smart will pick up those duties pretty well. And I, you mentioned a couple other guys. that I, I would trust Jalen Brown pretty well already. But for the most part, I'm, I'm fine with Smart having that role. I, Boston was a big winner. No argument here. I'm very interested yeah. to see how all this stacks up against Cleveland, though. Yeah, I still, like we said, or like I said earlier, I still, if both teams are fully healthy, I would probably pick Cleveland in five or six. Yep, I'm because I, I just think LeBron is that much better than anyone on that other than anyone on Boston roster. Yeah, I know the Spurs are gonna love him in 2018. All right, so I guess that means we're on to losers. I'm going to go back west and roll with the Pelicans. They were. It was first off. It was kind of hard to find a bunch of losers in the West. And the Pelicans had to pay Drew Holiday five years and $126 million is a lot of money. I don't necessarily think that means it's a terrible deal. I don't think it's great necessarily, but he, he'll only be 31, I think, in that last season of it. So you're going to basically get him during his peak prime years. And you didn't necessarily have the cap space to make these other additions. I did think dumping Tim Frazier was bizarre. I thought it was even more bizarre to then turn around and sign Ray John Rondo, and weirder still to then turn around and say that you're going to start him and Drew Holiday together. Uh, Ray John Rondo, Roger Rondo has shot very well from three-point range over the last two years. I don't necessarily know that this is enough justification to be like, hey, let's put him alongside Drew Holiday, especially when you already have Davis and Cousins playing next to Drew Holiday. Like, how is that offense going to work? I... I am one of the the few people that am intrigued by the possibilities with New Orleans. Um, I I kind of get what they're doing with Rondo, Demarcus Cousins' appeasement. By by most reports, he loved playing with Rondo in Sacramento. Like you said, his three point shooting has been pretty good the last couple seasons, thirty seven percent over the last two years, um, which would which would actually be really good by his standards. Um, Drew Holiday, I think, what is he, 6'4"? I, I think he's, uh, technically speaking, big enough to play that position. One thing that's really interesting to me about this starting five, I, I would say you probably slot in Solomon Hill at the three, even though he's been pretty underwhelming since they signed him. There, there's an outside chance that all five of those guys shoot above league average from three-point range. Um, and that's, that's sort of the big concern right now is shooting with this group and it, it could very easily go the other way uh i think the same is, is true of the timberwolves they have guys who can potentially be pretty good or they can t- potentially be really bad from outside and i think this that'll be kind of a bellwether for their seasons um but i'm i'm actually i'm very interested to see how that all works that's another team that um like we tepidly mentioned or like i tepidly mentioned with the Cavs. If things are going wrong for the Pelicans, I wonder if they will start fielding calls uh, on Anthony Davis. We've seen so many superstars leave their small market teams. Um, I wonder if they will, somebody in that front office will say, hey, maybe we should get out in front of this. Um, It's a really interesting situation. I didn't have them as a winner or a loser. Uh, I, I can fully understand why you would have them there but it's just a team that's interesting to me i basically put them in place of the jazz and i'm i'm sure you they're they're one of my losers yeah so we'll get well we might as well segue to them next i 
am too hot. The West was very hard to find losers, and I think there's a chance the Pelicans could end up being very good. I It's just very weird, and again, we're talking about a team with limited resources that had some very specific non-negotiable ambitions and aims. I don't know if they hit them is my problem. They're, the margin for error was so thin that rolling the dice on Rajon Rondo just seems weird and potentially detrimental yeah. to me. I don't think they need that the Pelicans fans anyway need to worry about Anthony Davis entering trade rumors because if they move him when he can't enter free agency until 2021 now, it's because they got an offer that they couldn't pass up. Yeah, it's got to be like a he's the, the he's entire two, Celtics vault or something. Isn't he only two years away from getting the designated player extension anyway? So Yeah, that's true too. I, I'm not, I, didn't, if, I didn't factor that if in. If they move anyone, it's going to be DeMarcus Cousins. So I'm there's... I think you being indifferent to the Pelicans offseason is fine. It's just for me, the margin for error was so thin. And then to end up with this, the, the dice roll is Rajon Rondo, and you couldn't necessarily secure another shooter. It, you know, how do you not get into the C.J. Miles conversation? It's just... Yeah, that would have helped for sure. Or the Luke and Bob Ruth conversation would have been good for them considering the way he shot last year. So uh, we don't know what happened behind the scenes, but given how thin their margin for error was... Um, this gamble does not feel great. And also, though, and I think we should just jump to it, you're going to have the Jazz as a loser, and I get why, but I'm looking at the Jazz. <coughs> I'm, look, I'm looking at the Jazz, and I don't see a winner in the conventional sense, but if you would have told me that Gordon Hayward left and this is what they were to end up with, I think it's fair to say that they've had a very good offseason. Yeah. I would I would phrase it this way. If you if you could isolate everything they did after the Hayward decision, I think they did very, very well. Um, it was about as, as well as they possibly could have recovered in the given situation. Um, but if I'm just looking at it from what the roster looked like last year compared to this year, I, I, I think it's a loss. Um, and I don't fault the Jazz front office for that. I think we for the most part, have been faulting the front offices of the losers that we've picked. That's that's not the case here. I don't think there's anything they really could have done differently. Uh, but they lost their their two best offensive players, and that's tough to replace. Um, I still think they'll be competitive. I still think there's a chance they're in like the high 40s, low 50s, and, and maybe like competing for 7th or 8th in the West. Uh, but they're not quite on the same trajectory they were on a year ago. Is it bad that I forget? Keep forgetting that they lost George Hill. I think that's I do to too, injury actually. problems. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. Um, that I kind of glossed over that in my mind too. He only played in forty nine games, and I think I think you could talk yourself into uh, Ricky Rubio being a better uh, like that being the right <laughs> move in a vacuum. Like Ricky Rubio instead of George Hill is a win. I I don't know if I would say that. Um, but I could probably be talked into it just because I think the durability thing is huge. Here's, here's a number for you. And this is what part in part sold me on the Jazz's offseason. Because they dealt with so many injuries last year, losing Hayward's a blow, but they were playing without Hill almost half the time. And mm-hmm. now you have Rubio. Donovan Mitchell looked like he kind of burst onto the scene in summer league. You pick up Tabo Cephalosha, who's a good defender and, and should be okay in this system hitting spot-up threes. We'll see. But 
Rudy Gobert logged nearly 200 minutes of court time last year without Hayward, Boris Diaw, and George Hill on the floor. The Jazz, in that time, were a plus 8.4 points per 100 possession, possessions, which would have ranked second in the league. It's a small sample size, but this team still has depth, and you replaced George Hill with Ricky Rubio, and that's, that's fine. Where, what Ricky Rubio doesn't give you as a shooter, he's probably a bit of an upgrade. I want to say one. Yeah, I'm going to back that up. Um, say what you will about the Carmelo projections from 538. I, I just think this is an interesting bit of information. They project in, they project Rubio to have 5.8 wins above replacement next year, and George Hill to have 3.7. So they might have won just that specific position. I think overall losing losing. Uh, Gobert is definitely the most important player, and I think that stat that you found about the minutes <laughs> that he played without Hayward and Hill is is very encouraging. But it's going to be hard to replace all the scoring that they lost. Totally agree. Um, since we're entering crunch time, uh, let's try and go a little bit rapid fire. That was a so loser I, for that you. That was my loser, yep. Back so to winners for I'm going to go for a winner, and I'm heading back to the East, and I'm going to say the Brooklyn Nets. Just, I liked their off season two. I liked it a lot. Just, just smart. Like nothing too crazy. You took on Timothy Mozgov and got a top two pick in D'Angelo Russell, who's the exact type of project you couldn't get organically because you don't have picks. You got another first round pick uh, for Damari Carroll, who who might actually help your team these next two years. And you're still going to have cap space next summer. You might have a ton if Jeremy Lin decides to opt out. You tweeted their most interesting lineup before. <laughs> That might be a really good lineup, you know, and and maybe they, I really like the Russell Lynn potential. I, I I think that has potential to be really fun. Right. It's just I think it's just they're doing what a lot of people wanted the Kings and the Knicks and other teams to do, and you've collected these assets by being this dumping ground, and yet you haven't necessarily compromised your big picture flexibility. So the the Nets Shh. culture is changing. JJ Redick said it. He was intrigued by them, but there was a playing. Time issue, I believe, is what he said. So the fact that they're now all of a sudden, and I know for a fact that there are agents and players around the league who are just viewing the Nets um, in a more favorable light. So, so the fact that they shout out to Sean Marks, right, and Kenny Atkinson. Oh my God, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that, I'm pretty sure every single person on the Nets, even the ones that just joined them, would follow him into hell. They've they've been very smart over um, the last couple of years. Who do you have as I have two losers left and one winner. So let's go loser. Oh, I have one loser left. All right, so um, I'll give one of my losers. Go out of turn. I have the Knicks. Okay. Um, getting rid of Phil <laughs> Jackson terrible. was a good move, an overdue move. You shouldn't have done it after letting him make your draft pick. I think they had that flexibility because Frank Nielakina looks like he could be really good. I know a lot of people are up in arms that they missed out on Dennis Smith Jr., but I really do like Nielakina. I don't like the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract. Do not try and defend it. It was a 2016 contract that was giving out amid the salary cap bubble bursting. And after the Knicks had sat there and watched it burst. We saw the report from ESPN.com, Zach Lowe, that the Hawks didn't really want to go higher than $48 million. Even if you needed to overpay Tim Hardaway Jr., I don't see the extra $23 million. I just don't see it. And 
He's not a good defender. He's improved. There were situations last year where he kind of locked down one-on-one, but if you start asking him to do some complicated things, it's not going to work. His playmaking has improved. He can run some pick and roll. I don't know if he's a guy that's going to make his teammates better. This seemed like a dumb gamble just considering the market, and good for him. He got paid. My problem isn't with him, but just looking at the lay of the land, that was a contract you would have given out last year, not in 2017. The only things I would add... Uh, while agreeing with everything you said, the Ron Baker contract is weird to me, and I cannot imagine Ron Baker slander teams... will not be tolerated on this podcast. <laughs> I cannot imagine many teams messing up the Mellow situation as as thoroughly as they his, have. His value, and this was a big topic on Twitter, I think like a week ago. His value has cratered, and just objectively cratered. But the Knicks should have known this and not then dragged the declining player's value through the mud because it's just Yeah, they've people. made it so much worse. Um, Who's your last loser? Okay, my last loser is the Spurs. Oh. I marked the Spurs. We're going to have um, words, That might huh? be surprising to you. <laughs> I just think with how many teams got significantly better, for them to just kind of tread water and get a year older around – Kawhi, I, I, I firmly believe that Kawhi is either the second or third best player in the league. Um, so they will be good just by virtue of the fact that they have him. But I have questions about other parts of that roster. I, don't, I still don't love the LaMarcus Aldridge fit there. Um, really nobody else on the roster jumps out at me, and I think you need more than one guy at there, this point. I get it's easy to pick them as a loser, I think, because of – what other teams around them did. Once Chris Paul went to the Rockets, I don't think they were ever going to make a huge splash. Like, it just was unrealistic. Yeah. I didn't, there was no one left that it would be worthy of them unless Hayward was going to give them a covert meeting or something. I get that we don't know if Rudy Gay is going to be valuable, but if he's healthy... I like him at the four for right. them. That'll so be you, interesting. You unlock some different small ball combinations you didn't have last year. I'm also... Uh, Javante Murray, that's going to be interesting. I loved Derek White. Um, Brandon I Paul like Davis Bertans too. Right. And Brand I think there's just and even Brandon Paul, the, the guy they just signed, like I there are a lot of things here where they could hit, and I think they put themselves in a position to where, yes, we can say this again, that they should be third or fourth in the West and they shouldn't win sixty games. But we said this last year and they turned around. Yeah, I've said it probably games. three or four times. So, so I, if, there's there's a very real chance I eat my words again. Yes, the fact that you picked them as a loser means we're no longer friends. My <laughs> other loser is the Los Angeles Clippers. Not just because they lost Chris Paul. I actually think the haul they got for him, reacting as quickly as they did to his demand, that was great. It, you know, Patrick Beverly, I love Lou Williams' expiring contract. Why are you giving Daniel Gallinari $65 million when he needs to play the four? He should be a four, yeah. And you've already given Blake Griffin $173 million. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you go after Milos Teodosic. I didn't see him going to the Clippers. And the money's fine for two years. But you got a first-round pick in the Chris Paul trade, which you then got rid of. Doc Rivers' brand is very strong. I'll give him that. But they went all in after Chris Paul, and I think this was a time for them to kind of regroup while remaining competitive instead of just going all in. And I thought uh, the Gallinari contract was impulsive. I don't know why you necessarily needed Teodosic. You can get over that because the deal is short. Uh, I would have liked to have seen them have kind of just, after re-signing Blake Griffin, just let it lie and roll out with Blake Griffin plus the return you got for Chris Paul and see where you stand. 
Yeah, that would have been fine with me. Um, I didn't. I didn't mark them either way. I, I understand what they were doing. I also agree with you that Gallo should be a four and not a three. I think that's a team that's going to fall into that like six to eleven or twelve range in the West. It, do, it doesn't even matter to me if they're good. If they finish fourth or fifth, but this is all. It's all just held together with a house of cards. It feels like. And what yeah, are you going to do? Sure. Max out DeAndre Jordan next summer? It's uh, it's going to be so weird. But that's why I I just thought maintain as much flexibility and it, keep the damn pick. For crying out loud. <laughs> that is weird. I will I will definitely grant you that. I think all I have left is one winner. Is that the end? Uh, yeah. Well, if, if we might, overlap. Let there be an overlap. This might surprise you. Um, the Charlotte Hornets. Are, are you drunk? <laughs> okay, let me let me try to explain myself. You all they really seconds. did, all they really did was add Dwight Howard. And here is how I'm going to try to justify liking this. Um, Dwight Howard just had his best season basically since he was with the Magic. Um, career high rebounding percentage, best defensive box plus minus since Orlando, uh, best PER since his first year in Houston. Um, and the reason I kind of like it is I still remember what Steve Clifford did with Al Jefferson. And I think that Dwight Howard is a more talented uh, player than Al Jefferson, even though he's he's you know has an injury history and um, a lot of other issues with him, I think Steve Clifford's going to make that work. I like Kimba Walker a lot. I think that's a good combo. So I am I am pretty high on what Charlotte did, and I like Malik Monk pickup too. I don't. It's not that I don't like what Charlotte did. Uh, the Dwight Howard has always been better in theory than in practice since leaving Orlando. So that's going to give me pause. My issue is who you left off. The Denver Nuggets are my final winner, and I don't know how. Oh, yeah, that's... That's egregious on your part. You heard me. <laughs> Earlier I said, now that I'm seeing this, I probably should have picked the Nuggets. But So I, I will have no qualms with how you how you explain this. I know you lost Neil Gallinari, but you have so many wings on your roster, it just doesn't matter. And now you get Paul Millsap, who is the perfect frontcourt partner for Nikola Jokic. And you get him on a three-year deal, near max money. I believe isn't the third year non-guaranteed, or it's a team option. Yeah, somehow so, they, yeah, somehow they got that. Stroke of brilliance. You're still going to have cap flexibility next summer, provided you don't go into it with both Farid and Mason Plumley. I think you have to get rid of one of them to really work it. And you're just you're on the map now. Like you've stayed flexible for the future, and are going to allow guys like Jamal Murray and even Gary Harris to grow. You have a million stretch fours, which at some point you're going to need to consolidate. I, I just love what they did. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them be like the fourth or fifth best team in the West. Maybe it takes a while to come together. Need, Maybe I'm overselling. And there, there's a lot of, I wouldn't be surprised at that either. Right. I just, I love what they did. And the fact that you picked Charlotte over them, I think this is going to be the last episode. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Um, off the top of my head, I need to actually like look at all the front courts. Um, Millsap Jokic has to be near the top. I'm actually looking at them right now. I, I mean, I don't think like you, I wouldn't. You can't. Put, I honestly think that. I mean, this is just. Uh, I, I think Jokic is the second best center in the league right now. I, it, I think that's fine to say. There are people. So and I and I also agree with what you said about Millsap being the perfect complement to him. So off the top of my head, without going through the rest of the front courts right now. Um, I think there's a chance that they're one of the two or three best front courts in the league. If we're looking at starters, 
and I spring yeah, just my, just your starting four or five. Uh, you take the Golden State Warriors out because they run out a traditional five. So people need to understand that the other, yeah. the the other two teams that might come into play may be Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, but probably not. The big one for me, and this is TBD, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins has the potential yeah, to be better. Good point. But I like. Just off the top of my head, I think it's probably top three or four. Oh, no, no without question. I, it's probably the second best one when we're really going to look into it. I'm, if you just go through it. Now I have to do that. <laughs> Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson is a no. I guess Al Horford and Jay Crowder is interesting, or Hayward, Horford. I would they definitely up, take Denver's over them. I, it's the, the second or third best. I, I think Davis and Cousins need to be given the benefit of the doubt <laughs> a little bit. How I glossed over the Nuggets in this exercise is pretty bad. Yes, um, we will have a new co-host <laughs> starting next episode. <laughs> but I will, uh, I will wrap us up. Um, my usual duties. Uh, this has been the Hardwood Knox. Will continue to be the Hardwood Knox, even though, as we said, we're with NBA Math now. Um, technically, you could call us Hardwood Knox and NBA Math Podcast. You can continue to. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher. Like we said, Google should be uh, up and running here pretty soon. Um, leave us a review on any of those platforms. Uh, tell your friends. We uh, would love whatever sort of shout-out that we can get. Um, and, of course, we have to leave with our shout-out to Bino Udri. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.